It's the Jesus and Paula Show. Starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Tune in as we learn the mind of Christ and thoughts of God. Well, good evening and welcome to this week's broadcast of the Jesus Impala Show. Are you excited to be back for another week of revelation and insight and jumping through portals that transcend time and revelation from the third heaven from our chief apostle? I tell you what, we're going in and we're going through whatever that means because we never really know. Just hang on to your seat because the revelation is about to hit a square between the eyes. Tell your friends, tell your family, tag somebody, and share, share, share. Did we say share? Because we meant share. Share with people. This revelation is rolling out. You have no idea how many people are seeking the face of God for this level of truth from the throne of God. Not everybody can get there. This is a lot of times, this is like God declassifying information to his select people, just like the government. I know we live in a nation of free speech, whatever that means these days, but free speech and free for everybody and everybody gets it, not the same thing. And so while we can all pretty much say what we want to say, there are some, you know, things you can say that will land you in jail, but by law, you could just say what you want to say. That does not mean that everything is said to everyone freely from the high seats of government. And likewise with the kingdom of God down here, we're all free to pray. We're all free to praise. We'll do that. But revelation, God does not give it to everybody. And even if he dispenses, he comes through his officers, just like the government does. There are certain things that only come from the white house. This, the press secretary in a certain room, in a certain place, with certain people, in certain documents. And so while it's easy to feel like in our land of the free and home of the brave that anything goes, and although (laughs) in these last seasons, the point is that everything is not said to everybody. Many things are by invitation only. The more sensitive the information pertaining to certain subjects and topics, we all down here at the pedestrian level don't know the half of what's going on. And what we do know is scary all by itself. And likewise with God, the word tells us that he dispenses certain things to his apostles, to his prophets, and then they roll it out according to their instructions to the rest of the body. And uh, so our sale this weekend is $5 off any bundle. We bundle. Everybody bundles. We bundle around here. So visit ppmglobalresources.com. You can see right there on your screen. And the code is always Jesus and Paula. I encourage you when you order anything in the weekend, just put in Jesus and Paula and see what discount pops up. (laughs) See if it's relevant to what you're buying, if it applies. Jesus and Paula is it. It ends on September 18th. So you want to take advantage of it. Shop today. See if there's new products, something you don't have that we're offering. Take advantage of it. Now, as far as being prepared for what God is doing, education is the key. We talk about it. It's a mountain that we all talk about. I'm called to the mountain. Um, Dr. Price calls them spheres because mountains speak to one terrestrial element, even though we know mountains are symbolic of power and authority, but a sphere is much larger and encompasses more than a mountain. 
So even if you're called to the sphere of education, we all come through education somewhere. Somebody teaches us how to walk, don't they? How to talk, how to learn, how to cook, how to clean, how to brush your teeth, all the basics of life. We are educated in. Nobody comes out of the womb knowing all of those things. And uh, education in apostleship and the prophetic is no different. Our contemporary doctrine tells us that's not God and that's not possible. But that's not what scripture shows us at all. Jesus taught his disciples. And somehow we take parables and turn them into illustrated sermons, which may or may not be saying anything, actually. I've seen some of these illustrated sermons, and I'm like, mm. I don't know. That's really, is that a sermon? That's actually, I don't know. It's a skit. It's if it's really advanced, it's a sketch, uh, which is, you know, a level above a skit. And, and we kind of leave it at that. And in our minds, we'll say, well, you know, uh, Jesus mentoring and, and teaching his disciples was really talking to them over lunch. He just had a series of lunches. And hey, guys, you know, I just I want to share some experiences with you. And, and we really make it a devotional, informal friend kind of thing, don't we? When we think about it, we don't think that there were tests, there were exams, there there were things that they had to do when Jesus was sending them out. And then, okay, well, why don't y'all go lay hands on people and see what happens? Why don't you? Why don't you go? Okay, go in my name, and and all of those things were like final exams to what he had been teaching them and the lessons he was schooling them. How do we know? Because when Christ was a child, he was schooling the rabbis as a kid. He was running that word down and they were like, how in the world can you have this other worldly revelations? He was teaching them. How much more would he be teaching his disciples as a grown man? as the son of God, fully aware of who he was. And, and in our contemporary time, prophets the same kind of way. They were in schools. And somehow we think that uh, a school of the prophets is only teaching you to prophesy. And then we'll shake, we'll quake. Oh, the spirit fell in class and we just laid out and didn't have class. Then I say to you, you were not in school. Somewhere you bypass the education process. School is to educate, not even just to expose. And many of us want to be exposed to the things of God, and we don't want to pay the price of education. I don't want a doctor or a nurse touching me that has been exposed to the medical profession. I want somebody who actually graduated at the top of their class. Forget the middle or the bottom. All these things, see, the lower you are in your class, that means the higher uh, a percentage of error you are likely to have with me. Nobody wants the nurse that has to jab you six or seven times to hit a vein. Like, all the time. Now, I know there are different reasons people can't find veins. You might be dehydrated. They might be set deeply in your arm. I mean, you have smaller veins. There are reasons why. But in general, you want that one who no matter what your situation, they can hit it, preferably the first time. And please don't blow my veins out. That doesn't feel good. And it's ugly. And we don't want that. We don't want a nurse who's led by the spirit to deal with my situation. You add the spirit of God to your education, not as a replacement to, well, I'm just letting the Lord, the Lord is showing me that it's your, okay. But um, you want to touch me, though? 
I can handle a prophecy about my health from somebody who is not in medicine. That's fine. But the person who's actually going to touch my body needs to be an expert in the medical field. I know Dr. Price has prophesied a time and time again, your this is off. You need to go get this checked out. You need to add the Lord says and go do it. Go do it. Go to the professional who's going to make it happen. But when you get to the professional, it's not I was professionally led of the spirit to actually cut you open or to write you this prescription. I need to know medically and primarily where this is coming from. Or if you can't figure something out, the Lord led you to, but using that expertise. And so we have Price University to educate the saints, educate, not just inspire. If you want pure inspiration, come on to Sunday service. Come on. Be inspired. Be led. Oh, my. Shake and quake in your pew. Careful now. Don't hit your head. All right. You can come on a Sunday. But in order to be equipped, to be armed, to actually make change and have authorization, what else does education do for you? It provides authorization for why you should be wherever you are going. Somebody says, hold on, let me check your pulse. Why are you touching me? Why do you want to check my pulse? If somebody said that they're a doctor of some sort there, whatever. Oh, okay. So you actually know what to do with this. And you have some sort of certification that says, and then can I see your credentials, please? Because these days, too many people identify as something that they are not. Let I identify as an attorney. I want to represent you in your situation. No, no, no. See, we know outside of this sexual agenda, that makes no sense that you can be authorized to do what you want to do based on how you identify yourself as far as what you want to be. Because you know I want to be a billionaire. I identify as that. But the reality is my bank account does not bear witness with all of those zeros. And if I did whatever I felt like doing to make that happen, somewhere something illegal is probably happening because you're hijacking, you're stealing Identity theft, identity theft. I don't understand why identity theft is that in every other arena except this agenda that we're pushing right now. That's being pushed upon us right now because we're certainly not pushing it. So let's go to this promo about Price University. This is Dr. Price breaking down why Price you. Why do you want to be uh, educated on this level? Is it biblical to require that apostles and prophets are highly educated or educated at all before they handle the things of God? Well, let's find out. We'll be right back after this infomercial. It's more than a few minutes. So sit back, sip your tea, sip your coffee, take out your notes and be informed. Greetings and God bless you. I am Dr. Paula A. Price, founder of Price University here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well as online. I'm speaking to you today to tell you about Price University and also to encourage you to connect with Price University in your ministry vision. The first thing I want to start out with saying is that Price University's motto is learn today, lead tomorrow. I'm sure that that has given you a clue to what I will be talking about over the next few minutes. Learn today, lead tomorrow. So why do we have that? Why was that model chosen? Because Price University is distinct in that it is dedicated to apostles and prophets, or better yet, it's better said, we're dedicated to the apostolic or apostleship and the prophetic. 
Now, before you think that's all we do, I want you to understand that that is our foundation. We rest on, as with scripture, Ephesians 2.20 says it, on the foundation of apostles and prophets. So while we cover all types of subjects, we cover a number of disciplines. Every one of them springs from Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ being our chief cornerstone. I thought that was very interesting to open up with. The next thing is that the reason for Ephesians 2.20, we are given in Ephesians 3.5, which is that God revealed to his apostles and prophets mysteries that he had concealed since the foundation of the world and even before that. So those are very important factors for you to appreciate why we're different. It is not the ministry office alone, whether it's the apostle or the prophet, but it is also the foundation of God's kingdom brought to earth by his son, Jesus Christ, and the foundation, the ignition of the church where we are born again by his blood. Now, I make these statements not to lock us into a religious concept or religious mindset. I make these statements so that you'll understand the journey that our students are on and embark on as they travel through the programs and the curricula that have been designed to achieve these ends. Now, so what is that end that we're achieving? The best part or the best way to say it is that The end is that we would have the mind of Christ and think the thoughts of God. And on top of that, that we would be more ambassadorial uh, as an embassy, because the ecclesia is an embassy, than we would be ministerial. Now, ministry comes out of it, but the goal is that what the Holy Spirit brought to earth is what we have built our foundation on, the foundation of Price University learn today, lead tomorrow, based on Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of Jesus' apostles and prophets, enwrapped in that the revelations given to his apostles and prophets of the mysteries that he's hidden from the foundation of the world. Now, here's why where all of this is going to plug in. I want you to listen to where it plugs in right now because I am so excited about sharing this with you. The plug-in is Matthew 28:18, what has come to be known the Great Commission, uh, as the Great Commission. Matthew 28:18 was given to the 11 surviving apostles, making it a diplomatic dispatch. Price University also specializes in how to develop apostles and prophets for that mandate for that beginning, to be catalysts, to be initiators, to be igniters of discipleship, conformance, and conversion, changing humanity. It is very important that we get that. Now, I have a slide on the screen that you'll be seeing. It goes back to 1915. I use it everywhere, and it's with Antonio Gramsci, who tells us how socialism was set out to replace Christianity in the world. And he calls it a religion. Look at the quote that he has, and you'll see how much we've gone aground of what the Lord Jesus wants us to do and commissioned his first apostles to do for him. Think about it and think about today's world and look at who gained ground and who lost ground. And as you can see from that slide, that obviously, and today's events, obviously, 
God's people have lost their way. His ministers have lost focus. They, they can't figure out identity. We can go on, but pretty much the headlines tell us the story. So we are talking to you today. I am talking to you today as the founder of Price University, telling you why we're unique, explaining to you why you won't hear all of that familiarity that you've become accustomed to over the last several decades from the professors in our university, from the programs, from the disciplines, the academia, and the scholarship. We do believe that the mind of Christ and the thoughts of God are the only way we're going to equip the next generation, this present generation even, for the future. Now, you can. how can you connect? Well, you can connect with Price University in a number of ways. We have self-studies, independent study programs that are at your pace. We have uh, ministry training certificate programs. We have specialist programs. We have master specialist programs. We have obviously apostolic and prophetic education, but we also have business. We have enterprise. We have a civic services and civic community program. We've got a lot going on. You need to check us out at price.university to see all that you can do. Now, let's say you have a, a vision or God has called you to start a school or to start a ministry education program in your church or even independently. Price University can plug in with you there too. We can help you because we have a very unique, very dynamic affiliate program. That means your vision gets our support. It gets access to our back office, access to our curricula, and we create a collaborative arrangement between what God has called you to do and what God is doing in the future. Because education is always for the future. It is very difficult to say God told you to start something if you're unclear on what his future is. Because if he's telling you in the now, it's because he is including you in his future. And Price University is there for you to do that. We are there for you to start your vision. We are there for you to upgrade your academics, your scholarship, your credentialing. Because all of that is what God is doing in the future. That is where he's going in the future. And we would like to walk with you into that future of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ side by side. So... Go again to our website, price.university. And remember, when you click the button, you're clicking to learn today so that you can lead tomorrow. God bless you. And thank you for listening. Ah, the importance of prophetic apostolic education, fivefold education. We need that. Now, listen, in case you missed it, Dr. Price went live earlier this week about what is your legacy? <laughs> This to you, mm, yes, oh my. Now is the time to prepare for your legacy. It's not after you become somebody. It's when you're in the making, when you're in the proving, when you're in the training. That is when you should be thinking about legacy. When you're basically nobody is what do I want to leave behind? Last week, Dr. Price taught on prophetic office tech. That'd be technique and technology. And so we're in a new uh, vein of our prophecy clinic. Not sure if we're going to have the next lesson in that today, but she said some key things. I mean, she always does, okay? She said some key things. Satan wants your soul because he never wants you to nurture it. 
The things that we don't put time into nurturing our soul. We want the microwave deliverance, microwave readiness. Just throw me in. What's the fastest route for me to get there? How many times have we even thought it? You may have thought, I've thought that. How long is this going to take me to do? And it could be something simple, basic as let's just say laundry. Shall we say laundry? It's the sting that hits all of our lives. It's laundry. You see, you you have accumulated and let accumulate a pile. And, and okay, so you're like, well, I can just wash this the proper way, which might be three separate loads. You have your whites, your darks, your color, whatever, however you do, you're supposed to do, right? Or I don't want to take that time. So you just throw a bunch of things together. Well, we've all done that. Some people live by that. Buy clothes in the same color range so you can just shove everything in there together. Having separated delicates from towels thrown in with clothes, lint, all kinds of things happening because you're in a hurry or you're just flat out lazy. We could say tired. We can say a whole lot of things. But sometimes, and I'll just speak for my own life, in these areas, it ends up being lazy don't want to do right. And then when things turn out the wrong way, which is actually the right way for the wrong way that you did something, you're mad. This shirt is now pink. Your white shirt is pink because you threw something red in there with it. Or I don't want to run a whole cycle or a small cycle on these few white items. So I'm just going to hope for the best. I'll bleach it later. You've just made double work for yourself later because you didn't do it the right way the first time. And this is how we are with lack of education in the body of Christ. And so in nurturing our soul, she also said when she got into segment three, which was really on the prophetic office tech, and she talked about the message, messenger, mantleship, and manifestation. She said that treat everybody like they can harm God. If they can harm God, they can harm your sheep. That's kind of how part of the closing statements of last week's broadcast. Treat everybody like they can harm God. We don't even teach that you can harm the Lord. You can't. What? But Lucifer tore up a whole lot before God kicked him out of heaven. And if they can harm God, they can harm his sheep. We have let a lot of wolves into the church, a lot of wolves into the kingdom. And uh, what's the, you know, you see the old, what is it, Little Red Riding Hood, is it? with the wolf? And the wolf with the little bonnet on. And then sometimes you've seen the cartoons, the wolf with the little red lipstick and the bonnet and the pearls. you just an ugly wolf. You look like an ugly wolf who just has on lipstick and some pearls and uh, a bonnet to, for us. And we're not supposed to see that you are a wolf. You still, and this is how, but see, then you have some people who will see all of that and say, but you know what? Maybe that wolf wants redemption. That I think the wolf coming incognito now, I think the wolf, what, you know, who, who are we to judge? Prophet Angela, you're just so harsh. You know, there's, where is your, where is the love? Cause you know, you just so harsh. Where, where is the love? Where's the softness in your tone? Uh, you know, they're they're really trying. I think they're really trying. You're like, they're coming in in disguise. You're not trying. Trying to manipulate the room, 
the situation, the service, trying to get that microphone in their hand. We're asking for feedback and you're trying to preach a whole underhanded sermon as your as your commentary on what was said. You're not commenting on what was said. And and the wolf always wants you is always trying to push their way into the platform, always trying to push their way into something they have not earned. Somebody who's wolfish is somebody who is trying to uh, manipulate you into believing that your rules are actually the problem. You're being religious. Um, where's the love of God? Uh, you just, oh, you're just so uppity. Oh, that's right. I forgot. You know, it's tight around here. Yeah, about as tight as your job. When was the last time your CEO was like, bring your bring your guests to CEO day and let them run and actually run the company? You know, bring your daughter to work day. They're not letting these kids do anything but observe. We're going to make you a little mini desk. We're going to pretend that you're working with dad and mom. Pretend. It's pretend. It's not real. It's, it's to inspire, not to actually authorize. When you shadow somebody on their job, guess what you don't have? Authority. But you have a special name tag that says shadow in training. When you're, sh- when you're in somebody's shadow, you know what you're not in? The light. They're in the light casting a shadow that you're standing in. Because you're learning, you haven't earned that spot yet. And we have not, we have so preached this lame, maimed, manipulative gospel so the wolf can just come in, forget sheep's clothing. Well, you know, now the wolf is in drag. The wolf is in the clergy suit. The wolf isn't just in the pews. Now the wolf is in the pulpit. Wondering why. So many sheep are being slaughtered in their life. Because the slaughter is coming from the top of the organization, not even from outside of the congregation. She said John the Baptist was a very good chief prophet because he taught them to recognize how to recognize the Messiah. He paved a way in the people's souls, lives, and hearing. The chief prophet is to exp- uh, expect those coming as in yeah to expect those coming as apostles and inspect those claiming to be apostles say la you see how much of this office we don't teach no because i'm gonna be an apostle this is my you know my tell-off tone i'm gonna be an apostle because i'm gonna crush these prophets I'm going to let them know there's a new sheriff in town. How many? I mean, this, right? This is the common pervasive belief systems that the apostle is there to just, I mean, hammer both feet, smash down, let those prophets know there ain't nothing to nobody. And I'm like, where is this in scripture? Where? Tell me it's somewhere. Tell me it's somewhere. And you might have a leg to stand on. No, the prophets are the forerunners. They were the inspectors. They were the ones who actually recognized, because apostles were not there yet, recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And from those, he then promoted some to be apostles. And then, of course, the apostles inspect other apostles as well. And apostles, well, they, they'll vet other apostles, but those apostles are there to make sure that your salvation was real. And that it actually took hold. 
I was telling Dr. Price that I watched a show. I may have shared this, but I was watching a show and um, they were sitting there and this young man uh, was some other, uh, an older gentleman's son. And he had really come out of nowhere to a lot of people. They did not know this young man existed, but the father did. The mother and the stepfather had raised him. And the one woman said to her husband, she says, what do you think about that guy? And he says, oh, I don't know. And she says, I'm not really sure about him. He says, oh, like father, like son, because the father was pretty unscrupulous in some of his old school business dealings. And she made a statement. She said, but I'm an actress and I know a performance when I see one. And I thought that line struck me. And, you know, this was some like not deep show. That's a deep line. I told Dr. Price, she said, oh, wait, that's good. She said, I, and I know a performance when I see one. And what she was seeing as the script later uh, plays out is he was actually sent undercover to spy on his father in business, which you did not know until later on in the storyline. And she said, uh, I don't know. And see, our job as apostles and prophets is to sit in our seat and say, no, no, but I inspect this for a living. This is my career. This is what I do, which is why we have to go to school to know the ins and the outs of the field and not only the requirements of the performance. Being able to prophesy does not make you a dependable prophet for the Lord Jesus Christ. It might make you a quasi-reliable voice box, but not officer. Being able to put something in order does not make you a quality apostle, especially if there's nothing but disorder around your life. You know you're not ready for the office of apostleship if you can't get yourself together. If everything you touch falls apart, if your life is chaotic, details all over the place, can't seem, how in the world are you going to help somebody else when you can't help yourself? How are you going to pray somebody else through? How are you going to do that? Our personal lives are our, is our first workshop. That's the test. This is why, and, and I look over here at the chief, the chief aisle, the chief assistant chief row over here in the studio. This is, I am convinced this is why our lives look like they hit the fan whenever you get chosen to enter into office, especially office training. Because your first testing ground becomes yourself. Before we turn you loose on everybody else, let's see how you do when you go broke. Because you had so much money before you said yes to God. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You had options in the stocks. You had options. Okay. You're not on the rocks, all right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like your whole life capsizes. What happened? I was It was smooth sailing. And then God called me and everything just went whoop because we have to see first and he has to see first and you have to know first if you can produce this from inside of you and not on somebody else's payroll. You don't realize you were wealthy because somebody else did all the hard work and you signed on to their successful vision. But God needs to know, do you have it on the inside of you to actually produce it and then reproduce it? And we want to jump right to telling people what to do and, and all this kind of stuff. He's like, well, let's see if you can command your own soul. Can you command your own flesh? Can you bring something out of ex nihilo, out of nothing? Can you produce, can you multiply your last meal in the refrigerator? You don't want to clean that thing out because then it will tell the truth. 
that it's all expired anyway. <laughs> and you're not going to eat it because it's going to make you sick. It's just gross. Okay, okay, right? So we don't, can you do that? When you master those classes, that's when he knows he can trust you to put you over his other people. Otherwise, you can manipulate them. You can do everything else. And, and you don't have the authority or the power that you are saying that you do. And you're a fraud in the office. Nobody wants somebody to lay hands on them that actually can't do anything with the power of God. It's just laying on of hands. They want the person. I, it doesn't matter. Please, I prefer you not shouting and spitting in my face, actually. Uh, who can just, God says, and and it happens, and it, and it does, and it doesn't have to be this whole big show or display. Or sometimes it is. Depends on what God is doing. Sometimes he is demonstrating his power boldly, loudly. And then other times it's very quiet in the still small voice. But school and training teaches you all of those different levels and dynamics. You can tell an amateur, unexperienced, inexperienced, and uneducated because they're at one level, usually. Whatever that is, if it's singing, they're always, and it could be a quiet level. It could be a, usually a loud level to actually feel like something's happening. It could be that loud level. The mature person has dynamics, levels to what they do. This situation requires a soft touch. Sometimes, Dr. Price, you'll be crying your head off at what she's saying because she is just hitting that spot, delivering your soul, and she's just talking like this. Now, sweetheart, anybody even Dr. Price in that gentle way? Now, sweetheart, I know you, but God has called you to, and she begins to talk about who God called you to be. And this is not you. This is this is not your best you. This is not your God you. And, and and she'll do, and never raise because I don't know. Sometimes people think if you're fiery and you're fervent that you just have a sledgehammer in your back pocket and you just run through and just knock everybody out all the time, all the time, just knock you out. And you just have and and you're like, <laughs> and you just I mean stuff running out of your face every piece that it can run, running undignified. Don't take my meal to go, thank you, because I can't eat right now. And the Lord is talking, and now you are loud. Because you, God is bringing this stuff out. And she's just sitting there like this. She used to have these wingback chairs in her house back in the day and just lean because she'll lean on the arm. She'll lean on the arm and and just really when she's really going in and I'm talking about you, Dr. Price, and just really, you know, and, and it's just all the way there. And the walls haven't shaken. The roof isn't about to blow off. They can't hear you two blocks over because you're so loud. Yet that could be the most powerful. It's like laser surgery. We don't have to actually get a buzz saw right now for this situation anymore. Just get the laser surgery and go in and send the, the thing up all the way through your nose and up to your brain. coming up, And then non-invasive. Yeah, it's just should be called less invasive because you still have to. They have invaded and they have invaded. All right. You just need less time to recover. Fewer stitches. Right, Chief? Fewer. But but recovery is still too soon, but a recovery is still necessary. And education teaches you your options in ministry to minister to people. And then there are times when you have to get a little loud on people. Now, hold on here. Yelling at them, them. Those devils there. There were times when they were called out and other times when not so much, but there's a lot to be. So go back and revisit that a brief video from Dr. Price on Price University to understand the fullness of why we are shifting the tide here.
in what we're doing in the body of Christ. We're doing something that hasn't been done in a long time, certainly not in our lifetime this way with apostles and prophets. And there is nothing new under the sun and God is doing a new thing. I just love how all those things are in scripture of what he's doing in our time to distinguish from what he's ever done. People actually think that God, in doing a new thing, in doing his new thing, God is going to, um, that he's going to do something that's foreign. True. But if you don't understand that God pulls everything from eternity, Mm -hmm. and eternity is him, and he is eternity, then when he wants to correct a flaw in his network, Come on. Then he's going to correct it by going back to his original. Right. And see, what's original for humanity is not original for God. What do you mean? It all started with us. Yeah, yeah, I did. We were number one. it, It did on earth. But, you know, if I could actually get the body of Christ to hear when I say that, um, I'm gonna start on the welcome slide. But when I can, if I can get the body of Christ to hear when I say, but God is finished. God finished God before he started us, before he did anything. And if we don't get that in our heads, we're not going to be able to keep up with what he's doing. God's future is biotics. We didn't teach this right. We taught it literary. We taught it textual. We taught it doctrinal. We taught it theological, but we did not teach it biotic. It is important that we get that, that that is why you're wondering, we're all walking around saying, what's wrong with the church? What happened to the Christians? What happened? Well, why come saints? Why do we, when did we, and we're all crying for old time religion when actually we should be crying for biotic redemption. Stop looking for religion. Religion was not invented by God or Jesus Christ. And if they can get that, we can go forward. Because right now, you're looking for another form of religion. You're looking for another whole body of techniques and rituals and all of those kinds of things. Or either you're looking for irreligion and you're looking for the sacrilegious because you're mad with the religious. Ah. And so as we go forward, the one thing I do know, and I've been waiting for God to tell us what it is that's going to strike this iron. We're all waiting. You know, God, what's going to, Lord, what, what's going to do it? And I'm going to tell you, it will still be the gospel. And so I'm going to, I'll be dancing around a little bit, but I'll let you know. But I want you to see, this is a class. I told you, I want you to sign up for my biotic redemption lab class. Because we have got to go to biotic redemption instead of textual religion. And even textual, we couldn't get in context. We just textual. We, we don't even get the, we don't get the, the con is gone. I guess the con won. But the point that I want you to get out of this is that God is doing a new thing in our generation. It is not new to God. 
the gospel will be, I know we think it's not when the church is gone, the gospel will be no more. But when the last vial, when we get into the vials, the angels take over the gospel. Now, do you think we taught it to them or did they teach it to us? Because in John's apocalypse, he talks about the angel with the everlasting gospel to preach. Isn't that powerful? So if it's an everlasting gospel, did they get us or did we get them? When you think about all of the scriptures that actually told us the gospel predates the incarnation, you still don't wrap your head around it. And we need to do that. Why? Because God has no religion. If you're writing, taking notes right now, I want you to do that. Write it down. God has no religion. Now, and that, that means in his realm, they don't have religion because they're one. Religion is needed because of division. See, if you don't, if we don't have, if we didn't have the, the whole Edenic thing, or if Lucifer, the cherub hadn't cut up in heaven and then divided creation into dark and light, life and death, good and evil, righteousness and sin, truth and lie. If he hadn't done that, then religion couldn't exist here. But because he did that, God had to move into redemption mode. He had to separate that which was his from that which the cherub had bred when he became the dragon. There's a whole constellation called Draco, Draco, so the dragon or uh, so you understand a constellation is made up of stars and stars represent angels and spiritual messengers. So write it down because if God has no religion and only redemption, then you need to find out how do you get there and how does your religion measure up to your redemption? That is a very challenging question. So we're going to talk about that. It's a lab class and we're going to discuss it, but I want to lay some foundation first. If I could lay some foundation first, then it will make a lot of sense. I will go back to the biotic piece in a little bit, but, but if we go to three, if you look at this, and I'm going, this is the message. This is the culminating message. This is a culmination of all that God has been doing, everything he wants. God can't move with a body that's corrupt. He's got to let it drift, and he's got to let it just deteriorate. He has to have the model he put in effect and the template that he put in his son in mass. We want God to move for, a, we don't even want him to remove redemptively. We want him to move evangelically. You understand that evangel the evangelicals or even evangelism is still not redemption. One's talking, the other's achieving. So we might, we can say we're evangelizing to win souls, but we don't have anything to keep souls. Now, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 says as much. First disciple nations. And then teach nations. And then after that, then you get these evangelical souls to go out and, and testify and witness Jesus Christ. So there's a difference between Matthew 28 and Mark 16. 
and Luke 24. And collectively, they're called the gospel epilogues. So, you know, all the last ones, all of the Jesus is risen from the dead, he's come back. Now, you need to understand that. I don't care how long you've been in Christ. If you, if you, excuse me, let me back that up, clarify. I don't care how long you've been in the church. The question is, are you in Jesus Christ? See, you might be in church. You might be in spirituality. You may be in religion. You could even be in a ministry office and still not in Christ. Now, how can you say that, Dr. Price? Because of Matthew 7, where he talks about these people did all of the machinations. They mechanized what Jesus did. They imitated it and they mechanized it. Then they doctrinized it. And then it became practice. But they never stopped to get inside of Jesus Christ. For in him is life. So you did it as a, a spiritually dead person. Your spirit is dead. And I know we, we have issues with that. We're folk are like, yeah, but you know what? I love the Lord. You love the idea of the Lord. You may love his ideology. So a lot of people love Jesus' ideology, his philosophy, his principles. They don't love his way of life. It's the way of life. I am the way. Not the thought. Not the ritual, not the practice. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't even say way to the truth. That's to be that that's to be assumed. He said the first thing I am is the way. The second thing I am is truth. A truth is a being. I know you got personal truth, which is why you think you got a personal savior. You don't have either. You don't have either. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. So people can get in his way and not be in his truth. They can get in his truth and not live his life. When you get in the Bible, you've gotten in his truth. And you still don't want to live his life. Because Jesus' way is difficult. He said the eye of a needle. He said narrow is the way to life. You know, and I thought, you know, we have all of these pictures because, you know, I'm going biotic. So we have all of these, all of this imagery of the, the narrow being the, the, the place where in Israel with the eye of the needle and the camel can't get through and all of that. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He's biotic. He said, I am the only way. So he wasn't talking about just living the life. He was talking about getting into him. That was a biotic statement. Narrow is the way means there's only one way to life because I, the being, the person, the man, Christ Jesus, am the way, the truth, the life. Now, it gets better. Could it get better? Yeah, it gets better. John 17, 17 says how? Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So you can be truly saved and unsanctified because you haven't had the truth of the person, the man, Jesus Christ. You are meant to be a model, an extension of the Almighty. I am the vine. You are the branches. Now, all of this is talking biotics. It's all talking bios. It's talking life. In him was life. 
In him was life, meaning in him was biology. In him, there, there, there was, uh, you know, the atoms. In him, he's a, this is all anatomic, and it's spiritually anatomic. You cannot talk about Jesus Christ and ignore the fact that he did not share the same spirit that Adam passed on to his descendants. And fortunately, let's be glad that he did, because truth be told, glory to God, we'd all still be dead in our sins. Because everybody who's relying on the, the, the word, scriptures only, are not making it. You know why? Not because the scriptures are wrong, but because the scriptures are anatomic. They're meant to breathe. They're supposed to cellulate you. They're supposed to uh, atomize you and, ana and anatomize you. So listen to this. He, John says, search the scriptures. You know what Jesus said? Search the scriptures. For in them, in the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. But they are that which testifies of me. So once you get into the word, if you're really in God's word, if you're really in his word, then you're in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new and all things are of God who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I beg you, be reconciled to God. What is that reconciliation? Text to text, philosophy to philosophy, sermon to sermon? No, that reconciliation is stepping out of one being and stepping into another. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. The reason that the Christianity is so sectarian is because everybody's arguing text. But you can't argue DNA. You cannot argue a seed. You can say all day long, I'm going to give you a bottle of sperm for you to go and plant in women, and it's going to give children. If they're not human seed, if the DNA is off, that is not going to happen. Now, you just got ripped off and took your money, like in a big way. You just opened your little clinic. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In the beginning was the word. The word it was did not begin print. It didn't begin text. It began as a being. It began as DNA. It began as the genome of the Almighty. It began as the genes of God. It did not begin print or text. And, and you're going to have to step back from this and, and talk about whether or not the gospel's been preached. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto what? Unto salvation. So no gospel, no power, no salvation. And you haven't heard the gospel in a long time because the politically correct crew has talked you out of it. So now you get saved because somebody tells you Jesus loves you. I want you to understand Jesus loves a whole lot of things. He let go to hell. He's, most, he's the most loving judge you can have. You can't get any more love than Jesus. Jesus is loving and he will lovingly send souls to hell. Not because of what you think. 
It is not because of your morality. It's because of his righteousness. And his righteousness is not textual. It's not print. The Bible says Jesus' righteousness runs down from heaven. That means his righteousness pours into the Holy Ghost who has to enter you and lead you and guide you into all truth and show you things to come and convict you of your sin. See, all of these unconvicted souls and these unconvicted preachers, they're not saved. They're not saved. And some of them started saved, but God said you must believe to the saving of the soul. So their souls were never converted because it takes the law of the Lord, according to Psalms 19, 7 and 8. It takes the law of the Lord to convert the soul. Now, we already told you the law is done away with. So you can't get saved. And Jesus never said the law was out. He never did. He said, I fulfill the law because in heaven, there is no religion. In heaven, there are beings. Beings who are 100% the, the, the DNA of the Almighty, 100% the genes and the genomics of the Almighty, 100%. Those that didn't like it, they lost, they got kicked out. They found out God had more life than they had death. This is the gospel that's going to be preached. See, because all that mess you all are talking about, it's become a joke. It's become the butt of a joke. Jesus loves me. This I know. I never forget. I, was, I, I, I just got saved and I went out teaching this Jesus has loved me gospel. And I taught how Mary, um, how the woman so loved Jesus that she cried and she listened to this because this is important that she cried and she and, and, and she just loved him for his forgiveness. And she washed his feet with her hair. He said, I pay women to do that all the time. How much of your gospel can a pimp take? How much of it does it does it stay in the sacred domains of God? He said, oh, no, I got horse to do that. That was my first shock with the gospel as I heard it. And there and I can tell you I've had many, many more. So in effect, he said, if that's all Jesus is. I'm that. How do you get people having, uh, what do you call it? YouTube lessons on how to preach and bilk you out of your money. Uh, well. And you don't have sense enough to know that there's no Christ in them. Because I'm going to tell you something. Jesus will get on your nerves if he's on the outside. But he'll get on your heart when he's on the inside. So we have, we have to go back and teach this the way the apostles taught it, which they got from Jesus, the prophet, because God starts everything with a prophet. Whether you're a prophet of doom or gloom, whether you're a prophet of joy and thanksgiving, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ starts everything with a prophet. And so all of these prophets running around here doing nothing to get wind souls, doing nothing to share the gospel, doing nothing but trying to get your money. Shame on you for not wanting better for yourself. Shame on you for being so gullible and so easy to, to be duped because you want the, the quick trip. Shame on you. Think about it because it's important that you get this. 
So when you when we look at it now, there is something very interesting about how God it teaches this. You know, we talk about biotic because you'll say, well, actually, the word for saved is Zoe or sozo or all of that. God's life. But I want you to understand that God's life didn't become biological until Jesus incarnated because Adam gave it back. See, he gave God's eternal life back. Biotic is talking about that physiological effect of the eternal life of God in your soul, in your being, not even in your soul. See, you don't get saved in your soul. You get saved by your spirit and you don't get saved because you say a prayer sniff and snot on the altar. You get saved because the faculty of faith turns you into another being, switches out your soul. So I'm going to show you where we are. Biotic. So if we look at the next one, if you look on your screen, the next one, and you see all of the, everything there is gospel, but it's all biotic. It's all biological. We've got the cross and the thumbprint. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. No one can snatch you out of my hand. You know why? Because you are his hand. You're not a marble. You're not a game piece, a trinket. If they can snatch you out of his genetics in the palm of his hands, then Satan can have you. Because you are part of his cell life. As part of his body. If you look at that, if you look in the middle, I like this little guy in the middle. You know, I found him for y'all. So maybe she can enlarge him. I know I enlarged mine. I always like to put Rachel to the test because she likes to climb to the next level. I, I saw so few people. I got like five, ten people that liked a challenge. Rest of them are hiding. Okay, so look at here. If you look at the beginning, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, that's John 1, 1 to 18. Next, we know Jesus is the line of Judah. And so that's that's his Davidic side. That's his sovereign side. That's the monarchical Jesus. I know we don't like monarchies, but eternity is a monarchy. I know we think it's a democracy. It is not. It's a monarchy. And then we have, of course, the biotic Jesus. And then we have the baby Jesus. You see all them baby face? All of that is scripture in his face. Because every word is a cell to God. Every word is the smallest unit of life. And it all compiles and comes together in various ways. And of course, here we are. As he is, so are we in this world. Isn't that powerful? As he is, so are we in this world. And what does that make us? That makes us potent. That makes us reigning with him. Revelation says he's made us a nation, a kingdom of kings and priests, a nation rather of kings and priests to our God, which is what he didn't do with Israel natural. He made them a kingdom of priests. We're a nation that we are the Godhead's nationality. Write that down. We are a nation, the nation of Jesus Christ. We are the Godhead's nationality. Why? Because nations are not determined by flesh. Nations are determined by spirit. 
the life, for it is the spirit that gives life. That is why we can all look very, very different ways and end up with the same DNA in various groups. So nations are determined by the spirit of the father or founder that begot them or originated them. So the reason we can, today DNA tells us you can find a Jew from seed of Abraham. You can find a Jew through DNA testing. And so God, in effect, through Abraham, brought in a whole different nation, a whole new nation that didn't exist. And it was a nation that believed in something that was deprived humanity from Eden, and that is faith. I don't know if you even hear me. Is that powerful? God gave Abraham the same sperm that he himself used with Adam and more. So that Abraham became the father of faith. If, 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 if God had a lot of faithful folk, we wouldn't have made a big deal about a barren man and a barren woman coming together to produce a seed that would literally be receptive and cooperative with the faith that brought creation into existence. You know, you also, that's one of those you want to just sit back. Yeah, yeah. So we have, a, so nationality has got to be determined by the father's sperm. And the woman that received it or conceived it, you know, conceived, took it in. So you have to recognize that Abraham was the father of nations and, and he went into Hagar and had Ishmael. But it was Sarah. Sarah was the Mary prototype that would bring Jesus into the planet. God was very careful about the males that carried his sons in their sperm. He was extremely careful about that. That is why when you, you know, you ever open up your Bible, you look at Matthew and heads up, so in the big God. And then so and so had a man by God, and then the people that we got a lot of a, a, a lot of registries in there, but there's a reason because God is not tracking everybody, He's tracking Jesus Christ, the incarnated Christ, through those names. In effect, we could say Instead of so-and-so begot, 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 we could say, and so-and-so carried the Messiah, and so-and-so carried the Messiah, and so-and-so passed the Messiah on, and then this one passed on the Messiah, and this one passed on Mary, and this one passed on Sarah. See, because all of that, see, that we said begot because our minds are thinking modern vital statistics. Because I'm going to tell you something, when they take your sperm, for you to to be put in the test tube, they've got to know where that sperm came from. DNA testing. Well, God did that long before we knew that there was a sperm. So when you read about in Matthew, when you read in in, in Chronicles, all of the names, God is tracking Jesus Christ. Mm. That's the biotic gospel. He's tracking all those names. We're telling you not just what they did, 
all of those names who forgot and then begot and begot and who begot all of those begots are jesus was here this his firm was here this one passed it on that one passed him on that one passed him on that one passed him on he did that so that the line of the two lines or lineages that he was tracking actually three were all there adam one before he fell that's one and that powerful abraham that's two david that's three so when we get to matthew if i can drag my brandy new toy i like my toy as soon as i can get the lights to go better okay i don't know what i'm doing but that's okay I got a little something, something. Matthew proves this. Let's go Matthew chapter one. It says it. And then, and when it goes on, when you think about it, it just keeps saying it over and over again. Who carried Jesus? But Matthew one twenty. Well, starting at the 18th verse, I love this one. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Okay, so the birth of Jesus Christ happened like this. When as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's bold to write that. But it's bold to come back and say, Joseph to say, I never touched her. And she to say, I'm pregnant. You understand? So God did something phenomenal, astronomical, supernomical. He had an angel talk to Joseph. And he brought Joseph into the campaign that had been working since Eden. And so he was getting ready to put her away. He was like, okay, but I'm, I'm not going to hurt her, embarrass her family, and carry on about this guy. This girl got to go. But while, verse 20, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, tracking Jesus. Mary comes from, da- from the same line. And so it says, fear not to take unto thee thy wife, a Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he, I love this here, he shall save his people from their sins. Now, understand, to the, to the sinner walking around every day, to those of us in this world, we're like, what? That is not it. That nation was begotten by Almighty God. That nation was begotten by the son. Jesus, who's coming, coming and going, had been from of old. So they were, that was their culture. That was their consciousness that the Messiah is coming. And everybody was looking for him. And as bad as things were getting, they were looking for him seriously. They knew Isaiah 7, 14 and the virgin. Somebody. And the virgin shall see that was doctrine to them. That was revelation. They had it read to them. Those um, rabbis had to read that every Friday and Saturday. So they, Joseph, did not say what he went. He, the angel said, "Did see? We don't even teach it the way God had it." 
Joseph said, you mean my girl is that virgin? And you trusting me with the Messiah? So you don't understand. We are talking it like we so caught up in Joseph's ego. We don't, we're not hearing Joseph saying, hold on, hold on. Because see, I'm an, I, I, I know scripture. I am a Jew. I know the Messiah story. I know how he's supposed to come. God chose Joseph because Joseph made it his business to know that word, to know what the prophets prophesied. He's not going to choose you if you are light with his word. He's not going to choose you if you are biblically illiterate. He's not going to use you like that because your consciousness needs the faith to obey what he wants you to do. And if your faith it, at some point has to deal with facts, your faith must come from facts. We taught you differently. These people did not obey God because they just had a wonderful lyrical song. These people obeyed God because God made them of the word. They were born of the word. Israel was born of the promise given to Abraham. That's a big deal. All of these scriptures that you're reading, the Jews lived those. He, Paul was teaching the Gentiles to give them a reason to give up their polytheism. So Joseph, I know, I mean, you got all of these brothers walking around feeling bad for Joseph. Joseph is ecstatic because he's gotten a divine assignment because angels showed up. See, the angel showed up to Zechariah. That angel showed up to Mary. That angel showed up to Joseph because this campaign, this venture for the Godhead was too fragile and it was really too significant for them to him to wrestle back and forth with their faith let me tell you something when god gets ready to use you he locks your faith into his faith you can't handle a question nobody can move your mind nobody can move your soul and when he locks it he doesn't just lock it on your will he locks it according to his steely will and all and he lets you know he brings that thing together he gives you all kind of, of, of god signs uh, you like joseph Joseph got a vision, all right? Uh, he got a vision of an angel. But see, Mary's the one that has to carry this thing. So I need to send Gabriel so that that girl will know you are carrying the Messiah. And he wanted to make sure that she could relive that moment when people called her a whore, when people wanted to cast her out. She had to make sure she could relive that moment. So God, when God gets ready to use you, he has these moments and you keep and you relive them and they, they become the, the nexus of your faith. They become the fabric of your standing and your endurance. And as long as you got questions, your time is not now because when God is ready, you have no questions because you see yourself as the answer. So you, all of those questions back and forth, I'm not sure, is because you are either not chosen or you're not ready and your faith is frozen. Because when God gets by, he sends the fire of the Holy Ghost and that Holy Ghost grips you with the same visions that God has. You no longer see your calling as man sees it. You no longer see what you're called to do in your trials as something horrible has happened. You understand that you're caught in the grip of something that's beyond cosmic, that of the divine realm of God. And I want you to understand nobody can shake you. When you get shaken, that's because you're not finished being made. 
you're still in the making because let me tell you something no you can hear crazy and the devils can thought project all day long you don't care your family cannot like it you don't care your daddy your mama they can call you stupid but you have been with the most high and you have been in god's face and god has told you and showed you and let you know you are part of this huge machine that's going to roll out this miracle that's going to save the world he will save his people from their sins and i'm telling you all of y'all back and forth and all of that is because you're not ready because if you were ready, you'd be steady. And it doesn't make a difference whether it's called to preach, called to war. Gideon called to war. God gave him visions. He gave him signs. He told him, and then God let, let him be overheard and gave him everything. Okay, so if, if, if the fleece get wet, then I'll know. Uh-uh. He gave him all of that. Why? Because his family was a chief family, and his father was going to crush him if he was going to move his father's empire. If God wants you to do something that is that anomalous, you need to rest assured he's going to visit you. Angels are going to talk to you. Whether they talk in your sleep or they show up like Mary. If, it's, if you've got something as massive as Mary, I want you to understand. That, let me tell you, you're going to get the visitation of a lifetime because God's got to make it so. God had to get Moses ready. He could not continue to talk to Moses incognito. He couldn't continue to talk to him from behind the veil. Moses says, show me your glory. If you want me to do this, I need to know your glory. Why? Because he was raised in Egypt where everything was a God and every God had something to do and they all had promises. And he's like, okay, so now I got to do all of this. So I did this. And he's thinking, I did this one little thing. I should be done. And God said, oh, no, no, we can started we're just getting started we are just getting started and then what does he do god does with him i'm saying something to somebody right now today i'm saying something i'm telling you god took him to the mountaintop and showed him all of the power of the God realm. See, God has to bring you into the God realm. He's got to bring you into the God head realm, not just any God, the fallen God. He's got to bring you into the God head realm. And he took him up there and Moses said, oh, whoa, this is, oh, so this is what you look like. He went from, I'll only show you my back parts to sitting in his face for 40 days. I want to tell you somebody today, if you're ready, you'd be steady. And if you're unsteady, it's because you're not ready. You're still charging God with evil. You're still complaining and criticizing. You're still challenging his power. You're still challenging his faith. You're still challenging his righteousness. You're condemning him for all your flaws. You're condemning him for your failures. You're charging God with evil and you still want to talk about use me Lord. God can't use you as anything but refuse. I'm telling you, you're you're not steady because you're not ready. All of these people are falling because they mentors didn't see to it that they were ready. So they couldn't be steady when the tempter comes because in the God realm, Satan is with God. In Job, he came into the God realm. I want you to understand at the Last Supper, Satan was there. When Jehoshaphat or Yeshua rather, well, Zerubbabel was getting ready to be coronated, the angel of the Lord was in God's service, and so was the devil. Satan will stand there to push you at your right hand. And if us all this time, he's going to always be at your right hand because he's going to always see if he has to bow. Does he have to give in? Does he have to give it up? Are you really better than him? He get up, both bad, dead, dead. 
telling you when you're ready, you're steady. I don't care what a devil says. When you're ready, you're steady. You can't be moved. You're not talking about shrinking the word. You're not talking about diluting the scriptures. You're not talking about bringing it down to the hearer. When you're ready, they rise up to God. I want you to understand if your people are coming down and you're going down to your people, it's because you got out there unready. So you can't study their faith. Said it both. Moses comes down and all of a sudden he knows who he is. We like to preach his humanity, but God kept that man up there till he changed him spirit, soul, and body. He died at 120 years old with his vigor and his sight. He climbed the mountain to die. We don't want to climb the stairs to get to work. He changed this man to the point that death had to give him back. And how much was he changed? He was changed enough for the new, without the gospel, without the new, because Moses knew the gospel. It was, it's in Deuteronomy 32. Moses knew the gospel, because if God's going to use you, he's going to make sure you know his gospel. He's going to make sure you know his truth. He's going to make sure you know his prophets. You're going to know your predecessors. You're going to know God's experience, his history, as well as your destiny. You're going to be saturated in his memoirs. You're going to know how people treated him. You're going to know what he does and how he reacts because you've got to be his guard you've got to be his advocate you cannot be his adversary guarding his sheep Moses goes breaks the tablets and guess what God said well I don't know what to tell you son you're going to get because you're going to cut them come back up here because we're going to do it again because see the people didn't break my law you just did so a lot of times our criticisms and our judgments will go and do the damage that we think people are doing to God. So Moses goes back up there and he comes back all lit up. Why? And we think because we, we're so carnal and we're so secular, we think that him being lit up was just some sort of wonderful way to say, well, he just had the glow. No, he didn't have a glow. He had a changed physiology, biotically biologically he became another being not just another man see Saul got a new heart and he became another man Moses became another being and what kind of being was he a being after the image and likeness of Jesus Christ because that's who he was hanging out with for all those 80 days that he hung in God's pleasure this thing is biotic y'all how in the world could Elijah do what he did unless it was biotic? He did it physiology, physiologically. He did not just, I'm just sending my angel. Nobody said they sent an angel. I'm sure they had some angels to send, but they didn't send angels. He did it. He walked on the high places. He are the one that called down fire. He's the one that kept disappearing every time they tried to find him. Jesus did every miracle that his prophets have been doing for ages. So don't talk to God about why he's not doing you right. You need to do better by God. If you get ready, then you'll be steady. When the tempter comes, because he's coming. He's coming for everything that sits in the high places because that's his stratum. High seats, that is his stratum. So why are you surprised that he's in the office next door? 
That's why God needs you to to be ready. You want to keep running out there and running out there like you don't have a, a spirit attached to you. But Paul said, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me for the what? The abundance of the revelation that was revealed to me. The more you can chomp his kingdom, the more you can chip his veil and chip his word, the more they're going to want to chase you down. They need to eliminate you. But you won't be eliminating because you're too busy accommodating. It's your time, but I've waited 14 years. I've done this. I've done. You haven't done anything. Moses was 40 years. Go and kill somebody to help God out. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. And God was ungrateful. <laughs> he was like, all ungrateful. He was like, hold on. And then the guy, and he goes and hides the body. And you know, God could have covered Moses, but he didn't. He wanted Moses to leave Egypt. And he also wanted Moses to know that his ways are not God's ways. And that he was not ready to take on the entire Egyptian army. But when he went back, he was. When he went back, he devastated that army. He tore it up. But before he had to do Midian. He had to do Midian. After being trained almost two years from being the next Pharaoh, God wait right. He always wait till your promotion because, see, he wants you to know you're giving up something. So you about to get promoted. Don't worry about it. God's going to tell you to leave. You're, you're, oh, babe, you're about to get, you're getting some certificates. You're getting some, oh, yeah, trophies. Don't get a trophy. Woo, gee, don't do it. They're, gonna, they're ready to offer you another job. And you know what? He'll say, leave. You can't take it. You can't do it. But Lord, I'm going to suffer. Yeah, you are. He said, but if you don't suffer with me, you can't reign with me. Because see, I reign with suffering. Now, I don't reign with the superior. I reign with the sufferers because our strength is made perfect in our weakness. So I want you to understand, yeah, you might have to give up your stuff. But you know what? It wasn't yours anyhow. It was Satan's stuff. And he is a repossessor. He's going to repossess. So you keep telling God, I can't suffer. God says, I can't use you. Because if I see, here's the issue. Readiness is a lot more than academia. Readiness is a lot more than scholarship. It's a lot more than ambition. It's a lot more than population or popularity. Readiness is whether you can withstand the adversary whose stuff you've been using. Can you let it go? We love preaching the parable of the young rich man. But understand, he was like, oh, no, because the your Messiah I'm waiting for won't make me give up anything. See, the Messiah I'm waiting for wouldn't ask such a thing of me. And he was sad because it's like, man, I bet on the wrong horse. I bet on the wrong Messiah. This can't be the Christ. How many of you are there today? Because I'm going to tell you something, without being born again, you cannot do this. I know you do all kinds of good deeds, but you do good deeds for evil reasons. You do good deeds for ego reasons. You do good deeds for envy reasons, but you don't do them to glorify Jesus Christ. You And, and God appreciates it. Don't get, listen, don't give it up. He appreciates it. But understand, he still can't use you because you're not his property. 
See, God can only take into his world his property. Why do you think that, that um, Michael can push back Satan when he came for Moses' body? Because Moses was so converted of soul and so converted of spirit, God was like, but that's my property. And Satan knew it. That's why he wanted that body. Read Jude. He wanted that body because that body was, was reminiscent of what he gave up, what he left behind when he fell in his bid for power. You must be born again. And then you must not think that just because you said that prayer, it's all over. The only way you can say the sinner's prayer and be secure is when you get born again on your deathbed. So if you're not dying, you better be ready to get up. I need you to hear me and I need you to understand why the new birth is the only thing that gets you into heaven. It's the only thing. Why? Because it's biologic. Because your soul died. He said your soul is dead in trespasses and sin. Soon as babies are born, they go astray speaking lies. You don't have to teach a baby how to tell the truth. I mean, how to lie. They do that naturally. And a toddler. No, not me. A toddler. Why? Because the spirit in them is the spirit of darkness. It is the reason that we must be born again. Kids are bullying because they're unsaved. Kids are being bullied because they're saved or they're Jesus's property, present or future. All of this wickedness that you're looking at, you're the one. Uh, mm, I'm going on. So do you really, can you really say what salvation is? Do you really know? Because you've been running on a prayer, an altar that you prayed 25, 30 years ago. And you never changed. You don't like Jesus any more today than you did then, probably a lot less. You don't like church. You don't like Christians. You don't like the gospel. You don't like preachers. You don't like anything that God prizes. And you call yourself a Christian. Well, you might be a Christian, but you're not the elect. You're not born again. So you may be a Christian by your faith, but you're not a Christian by his faith. And his faith is different from you. His faith loves his father. His faith loves his world. His faith loves God's people. He tells you that you are still bound by Satan. You might have said that prayer, but you know what? You use it as an escape from your trials and a pass for your sins. Most of you all never repented. You never said, God, I know I was a sinner and this is how I know it. And this is what I did to make me qualify as a sinner. Many of you never did. All you did is, I just love you, Jesus. I just love you. Or you went and followed somebody's little script. I believe Jesus, the son of God. You don't even know what that means. And then you went back to your little pagan roots. You went back to your little psychic fairs. You went back to your little whoredoms. You went back to your fallen deities. You went back to your Sunday rituals. Can't go to church because after all, you're free in Jesus. You're so free in Jesus, you don't want to be with him. Ah. 
you, if, honey, if you're that free, I can't go to church. Well, I'm sorry, I can catch it online. And God said, well, catch your healing online. Catch your, your save, uh, salvation of your marriage online. Catch your increase, your raise online. Because I am where I am coagulated, aggregated, and that is at the church house. Well, you don't have to be, go to church to be saved. If you are the church, you should be there. To, can you imagine your brick in your house talking about I don't have to be here? How many of those can you have go someplace else before you don't have a house? So let's talk about this. Look at that. Biotic, begotten, implanted, offspring, transfused, individuated, and cellulated. This is a, you are born again by the blood of the lamb. Blood comes from the male, comes from the father. That blood type, that's the father. Now, I know they try to say to women, because right now, you know, the modern scientists are doing everything they can to undo, erase, and confuse what we called and what we discovered was so. Now, should some things be updated? I agree with them. They should be. But you can't change the biotics of humanity. Because if the mother has anything to do with that embryo, other than fleshing out its body, then guess what? Jesus wasn't the Savior, and that's why they're doing this. See, they're doing this to discount and discredit the incarnation of Christ who was born from the seed of God, or they're trying to say Mary wasn't a virgin. You need to be very careful about what you let the sciences persuade you of. Because they have an agenda, and that agenda is to get rid of you, get rid of Jesus, and get rid of the country that he founded. All of these other Western countries, Jesus started with them and they all fell. Let's see what the United States does. And they fell to sin. They fell to communism. They fell to socialism. They fell because they changed their God. God said it's a bitter, hasty thing for a nation to change its gods. So let's talk about Jesus' pedigree. I just listed it. Adam 1. And he came down through Enoch and Noah and Abraham. And he traveled down all of those unbelieving sperm trails to become bringing faith into humanity's biology, physiology. Abraham received that sperm. He received a bunch of them. But his, the biggest thing he got was he received the sperm of faith. Now, so it's not just, so his, that material stuff was there, but we all know you don't just get material stuff. You get personality stuff. You get emotional stuff. You get virtues as well as vices. You get all of that from your parents as an inheritance. And everything that shaped your parents becomes part of your future makeup. So if your parents lived a life of terror and all of that, you're going to find that you're going to have a real difficult time with not being fearful. And we can go on. So now science is proving scripture every day. As much as it's trying to disprove it, it's proving it. 
So don't believe the lie. Jesus got his body and his sinfulness, that sin susceptibility from Mary. So his epigenetics and his mitochondria were of fallen Adam. But his genes and his DNA was from the Godhead. He brought that into Mary's womb. Here's some of the things you should know. Hebrews 10.39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the what? Saving of the soul. Now, you think your soul is saved because you said a prayer, but there's a reason why God talks about apostasy, because not everybody's going to endure to the end, because the best comes through the press, and some people can't deal with pressure. So you can't deal with the press. You can't deal with being embarrassed. You can't deal with having to scale back your budget. You can't deal with having to sell your stuff to pay your bills. You can't deal with, it's the truth. You cannot deal with the fact that folk want you, put you out. You can't deal with any of that. And it's not even that God just means you to suffer. He actually means you to suffer it to not grip you. Meaning use your ingenuity to get out of it. If you got to sell your furniture, sell your furniture. Why? Because your life does not consist of the things you possess. And if your soul needs all those possessions to feel whole, then you are not a candidate for the Godhead's eternal future. When you look at all of the people, he said, when, when you see uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Moses in the kingdom, so and you really want God to feel sorry for you, He's not going to feel sorry for you having to give up Satan stuff. He's just not. He's going to tell you, I'm with you. He's going to give you some scripture, quote some things, and said, be strong in the Lord. And and he's after you suffer a while, I'm going to give it all back. And Jesus gave a whole teaching who will not receive in this life. You don't like the process. And you don't like the experience. And that means to God, you got too much of your Adamic ego in the way. See, that Adamic ego can't suffer this because it's bound with the serpent. It's bound with Satan. The same reason why he got kicked out and he lost the war. So moving on. Trust me, I'm not preaching what I don't know. I have been 40 years in this, and my my family will tell you I have suffered it all. I have had to live it, and you know what? Every time I did it, and this is when it's time. When I said, you know what, Jesus, you and me, we're not going, we're not falling out all over material things. When I said that, I'm telling you, I said to him, we're not going to fall out over this because if this is all it takes, then I was never saved. And so after that, I just start saying, your will be done. If this is how you want me to do it, I thank you for making my way and giving me my daily bread every day. Like Elijah, Elijah, you got to get the raven. Raven got to come and feed. You notice that he wasn't a dove. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Now, Noah got the dove. But the prophet got the raven. The most powerful prophet anywhere outside of Moses got the raven. Look up a raven. First of all, ravens are predators. The dove is not going to bring you food. Sometimes you need a predator to feed you. Because <laughs> the dove is going to bring you a branch and say, hey, peace be unto you. <laughs> 
The ego is too self-sufficient um, uh, and too self-absorbed to give you what he caught. God had to make that raven take care of you. And, take, and so the raven had to feed Elijah after his mightiest test. And it was his last one. So you may have to go out on raven food. Romans 7, 4. Wherefore? <laughs> what? You might have to go out on raven food. Because, listen, he expended the, the, the fullness of the power that was in him. He had nothing else to give. He was tired fatigued and ready to die. God had to keep taking care of him because he kept passing out. He was that depleted. He had, he had emptied out everything that God gave him. Everything that he had to do. And the last thing he had to do was take out Jezebel's prophetic staff. That was his biggest, mightiest. Now this man has done phenomenal things. He's been, I mean, he was tearing up the kingdom. One guy and a few of the backers, because, you know, when you have to get out there on the front line, you look behind you, baby, and there's nothing behind you but a mirror. <laughs> that was it. And, he, and when he finally got his strength back, he got the strength to leave the planet, not even die. His strength came back, and then God started telling him who to appoint and inaugurate for the, what, for the world that would follow him. And so he chose the heathen king. He chose the Israeli king. He chose his successor. And then after that, he was done. He had nothing else. And, his, and, and, and if you're going to be in a prophetic company, if they don't know that you're getting ready to leave, that's not your prophetic company. Because your prophetic company should be aware of the changes that are going to happen because God is changing the day. He's shifting. And so you're talking, uh, Elijah was such a good leader, his prophets knew. You know, your master's leaving you today. I know, shut up. Because you know, the prophet's going to be yak, 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 yak. You're trying to be all, okay? Shut up. He goes over here. Did you know? Did you know? Your master's leaving today. You know, Elijah, I'm like, uh-uh, I know. I, I know, shut up. Because he like, I don't want anybody to inaugurate me, but that's whom God has chosen. And see, many of people, you don't care what hand is laid on you. They could be a trucker, a janitor, a jan jan sewage worker, don't like God, paganist. You don't care as long as you get a public statement that you're called to some high place. And the body of Christ is all right with taking uh, nobodies who are going to uh, assume or take it upon themselves to make someone else somebody. But you're a nobody. You can't put me to work. You can't pay me. You can't open doors for me. You cannot. Oh, and yet, and you walk around. Yeah, so-and-so, God, they, they got anointed and they got uh, 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 consecrated as a bishop, as an apostle, as a prophet. And you're like, who did it? Somebody who hasn't been anywhere? Your Facebook say that you don't have enough power to do this. You're sitting there turning 15, 20 people and you're going to run in some church and talk about... <laughs> God told me to anoint you as prophet. <laughs> the stature of the one to elevate you determines if your elevation is true. 
some disgruntled nobody who wants to go and say, see, you don't have to do it God's way. That's a Korah anointing. That's a Korah inauguration. And you need to be looking for the ground to split under your feet. That means your foundation to be shaken. Now, Romans said, wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. No, because she's going to be putting that little plaque up. I'm going to be upset. <laughs> she said that's loud. <laughs> I'm going to have a sip. How about that? Not today. Not today. Look at this. The reason that you're dead to the law is because you're dead to the law of sin and death. And that the only way you are exempt is by being in the body of Christ. Not calling it, not naming it, not claiming it, snatching it, taking it. You have to be in it. The only way your heart can do you any good is needs to be in your body. Your heart walking around on the side, it can only sit on the table for so long before it starts saying, wait a minute, I need my other rest of stuff to help me. By the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who raised, look at it, who is raised from the dead, that we should be, bring forth fruit to God. Now he's using marriage. He's using, now look at this. So that means that your salvation is not simply an association. You don't just associate with God. God doesn't need you to just associate with him. He doesn't really need you to empathize with him because he's like, I live forever. I don't care how much y'all do to me. I have resources and abilities to remedy myself every day and you. And he says, so he's using marriage. So that means that when you're not in Christ and you're not born again, then you are not married to God. And he's not a date. He's a husband. God is a husband. Jesus is a husband. And if you notice, he's given Jesus a biological bride. Not a contextual one. Corinthians. I want to get to this one. Now, Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. You are this man's body because God's body is God's being is not made of dirt and dust. It's made of material and fabric that lives forever, that cannot die. But you're still his body. He says, some, some of y'all are fingernails. Trust me, when you get an itch, you need a fingernail, baby. I'm going to tell you right now, you'd be sorry you didn't ate them things off. Okay? <laughs> I need to scratch a little something, a, a little nub, and give you, you know, just get yourself a massage. Hebrews 10, 20, that we enter God by a new and living way, which he has consecrated through us, for us. Now, look at this. Through the veil that is to say his flesh. So your body is a veil. It's a tent. It's the outlet. It's the mechanism for all that your spirit and soul are to do in the planet. We talked about this last time. But this is what salvation is involved. And in the class, we go through each and every one of these redemptively. Not just theologically. Now, I have nothing against theology because I use it. But I'm telling you, this is about the redemption. And only when, it, when Peter said, 
but only you have the words of eternal life. He understood something about the Messiah and something about what Jesus was doing in them as he spoke that passed them from death to life. You didn't die in your flesh. That's why people get saved and we start talking about, well, I'm born again. And folks be saying, but but if you're born again, then why are you the same? Because the problem did not begin in your flesh. See, your soul began before you got in flesh. It fell in flesh. But it existed before then. So I want to talk quickly about born again. I have said this and said it and said it and, well, said it. And I'm going to keep saying it because this is the biotic gospel. Ezekiel 36, because God does everything with a prophet and he has to prophesy before he does something. So he has to speak it into the natural realm so that it begins to fuse with and, and support and be cooperated with by creation. So creation by virtue of the Holy Ghost being here, creation has a bunch of assignments infinite assignments to the earth period and then to its populations period and its highest assignment is to jesus christ his highest assignment is to the lord you understand so i understand so before jesus could come and be the way truth and life and be the way to salvation god had to pave the way and create the way because salvation like Abraham's faith, did not exist in the human realm. So look at this. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So you now understand that if you have, you know, American Idol, Shedebo, Amanbose. Your idol of your heart, okay. All from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart, a new heart. If it's your Bible, new heart. If you're taking notes, new heart, not come into my heart because your old heart is your soul. Your new heart is the spirit that changes your old heart from what it was to what Jesus is. And a new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you because it's the spirit that gives life. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. Here, flesh doesn't mean body. It means soul. Because in the Old Testament, the body and the soul are treated as a unit with the the soul being the superior of the two. You can look it up. So he's saying... I will take the stony heart out of your flesh because in God's mind, what the flesh does is is what the soul is. So the reason that you're hard-hearted is not because your your this heart, your physical heart is hard, but it has to be hardened by something. So he's saying out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. See, these people who said the sinner's prayer, you didn't get the Holy Ghost. That's why you don't like Jesus. That's why you don't like church. That's why you don't like sowing and taking care of the man. Because when you get the Holy Spirit, then as he is, so are you in this world. And you love what he loves. And cause you to walk. I like cause. Look that word up. 
because you will appreciate all of its meanings and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So this whole idea that the law is done away with the law is what makes the new birth possible. Moses, in Luke 24, 44, write it down, because a lot of you are going to talk about this because I messed with you today. Write it down, and it says, God says, in Luke 20, yeah, I know I did, because you know what? Some of y'all are going to get on your knees tonight, talk about now, Jesus, now do I have my new heart, or is it still hanging out there in the Holy Ghost waiting? Because <laughs> it might be hanging out there, because it might be still on the shelf. Is your heart in your in your new creation soul or is it on the shelf is the holy ghost still holding it trying to woo you to the cross trying to woo you to salvation well i'll get saved later who how did you control later Has, i mean come on you have tried to eat later and then things came up and you went to bed hungry later later you can't you don't choose that and right now god is in the mode and when i say he's in the mode God is in a mode. He's like, I am not playing with you all. I don't have that patience any longer. I've got a generation to save, and I've got to deal with the generation you spoiled. Luke 24, 44, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. Meaning, while I was yet carnal. Because he's with them now. So while I was yet carnal. That all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they may understand or comprehend the scriptures. Isn't that something? You can't get God until God wants you to get him. I know it sounds different, but it's not. You cannot get God until God wants to be gotten. So when you look at this, he's saying, did you understand? He didn't say, you're going to do my, my joy. You're going to do my whatever. He's saying, you're going to do my law because my government is going to be in you. Because with your new spirit comes my government. With, your, with my spirit in you comes my government and my dominion. So I can make you do it. That's why when you are... God can wait you out. When you're really saved, God will wait you out. If you could be he, like you want to wrestle like that, that's fine. You'll get tired before I will. So then let's look at what, what this actually means. Don't y'all like the little guy? He's our little baby. Hold on. Let's go here. Isn't he wonderful? Okay, so we already know in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I keep using this statement because it's important. The word didn't didn't just become flesh like it was an evolutionary transition. He didn't transition or transfigure. He was made. Why? The word was made flesh. See, hear me. We could say became flesh, and that sounds like when well, we became, you know, we went from Neanderthal to Homo sapiens. That's not what God's talking about. Because Psalm 40, verse 7 says, a body you have prepared for me. So God made his body. 
and lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, which is brought forward to Hebrews 10, 7. Same passage. But this body is unique because this body is going to outlast all of its agonies and opposition and reign through the power of an endless life. See, God's life is endless. When you're born again, you get a measure of his endlessness. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. First Peter 23. If you look at, see the little guy there, he got the little DNA face. You see that? He, see all his stuff. That's all Jesus. Now, you must be born again. Here is where Ezekiel 36 shows up. Jesus proves that he's the prophet. He came as a prophet. He chides um, these, um, Nicodemus because he's like, wait a minute, you do all of this and you don't know this? You call me Messiah and you don't know why I came? Thought you might like this. There was a man of the family. You know, we have we, people have preached Nicodemus forever. But there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you thou dost except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I love God because he got us, Jesus is talking. I say unto you, um, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I left you out. A man must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. His statement is, you think you know? You, you really think you're seeing it. No, you're not seeing it. You're literally, you're just watching, but you're not seeing it. You know how we watch shows and don't see, and it takes us watching it six times to realize we didn't watch it at all. We didn't see whatever. Jesus answered and said, Nicodemus said, um, and yeah, Nicodemus said unto him, born, can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And, um, and Jesus answered, now I don't have any, let me tell you, my, my, my internet at home was crazy. Okay. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, which is the word, and of the spirit, they cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit marvel not that i say unto thee you must be born again and then i'm gonna go over here because i'm sick of this myself let me get over here i don't know what happened it looked a lot better when i couldn't see it now i see lord i see all right so we're back to john remember john we're back to john Nicodemus, and we're going to get over here to where it makes sense. Because we like to talk about John 3, 16, but do we really know what we're saying? And he said to him, okay, starting at the 19th verse, uh, is that John? Oh, how about you need two? All right. And so Nicodemus, I'm just going to go on and say to him, uh, 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All of this fleshiness and carnality that these people have, it's the, your body is telling us your soul is unqualified. 
It's unsanctified. It's unclean. You only do to your body what your soul prefers, what your soul desires. So your physical appearance is telling God, uh, which he didn't need it, but it's, it's a record on earth because you got to bear witness on earth. It's telling God that you are not yet his kid. You are not a candidate for his eternal life because your appetites are contrary to his realm. I thought you'd appreciate that. And so um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth and thou hear the sound of it, but canst not tell when uh, where it comes. Um, cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goes. So when the whole, and we know that with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will show up. You don't know when he came and you don't know when he left. You had a great time while he was here and it's over. Bell rings, got to go to work. So the whole point of this discussion is for you to see how it works. And we are into this. This is Ezekiel's prophecy fulfilled. The new birth. Hallelujah. I like that you keep doing that. That's good. Hold on. I'm going to go to the next one. That's really good. And so we saw we saw this Sunday. Jesus Christ. We are all in him for we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's the part I want you to get. When we look at how this works, these are the connections. Biotic, biologic, cellulate, biotic, organic. I love the fact, that whole thing, organic, and it's pointing to a cell-like. Are you seeing all of these? Is it showing up on your thing? Okay, I just want to make sure, because I did all that work. Is something sort of show up. So this, these are the connections that we have to make. Now, how do we do this? These connections are not made for me to say, hey, isn't that pretty? It's for you to explain where the biotic elements and aspects of Christ's redemption enter. You ought to be able to articulate it intelligently, and you ought to be able to rationalize it and reason with others. Acts chapter 28, I think it said, or Paul spent all day reasoning with people proving that Jesus is the Christ. We're proving a whole lot of things. And we have all of these, I mean, you know, I get these, um, what do you call them? Those surveys that talk about how many people don't believe Jesus is Christ, uh, whatever, how many Christians. I was like, why are you calling him a Christian? When they don't believe, they can't be Christians. And they don't believe in the Bible, then they can't get saved. See, you all have let Satan soul talk you out of the superlativeness of this this whole redemptive plan. So he brought you down, down to religion. Religion is what he invented to rule humanity. That's what he, and to give gifts to the fallen angels that lost their inheritance with him. Redemption is not that. Say, this is not that. So I just, I'm not going to go there. I just want to show you where biotic, so you can look at these, you can look up these terms yourself. Biotic in scripture. The first one is B-O-O, B-I-O-O, and you can look up there as G, Greek 979, and it's existence, spendable, expended life, or 
life you spent out. But um, Bios G979 for life, lifespan, and livelihood. And then we have Biotikos, from which we get Biotic, which is G982, and it talks about present life on earth. Physical existence, lived um, life lived on earth. And then Biosis, which I thought was really good, is active. It's living life. It's your manner of living now that you are filled with God. You still live the same way, then you are born again. You still got problems serving God. You're not born again. Well, you can't tell me because I just I just know you can't. Your knowledge can't be more authentic than God's scripture. Your conduct, Paul says, when you're born again, your life becomes a living epistle because God writes on your soul heart what your new creation heart brought into existence. You don't, I don't, I don't want people to tell me what to do. You're still, I can't serve. I cannot even tell you the church is so spoiled, so unready, and they're so unsupportive of God. You advocate sin, darkness, death, and flesh more than you advocate Jesus Christ. You are not an advocate for him. You are his adversary. Uh-uh, because I love the Lord. Yeah, you probably have 16 relationships, so we know how valuable your love is. You probably have slept with 13 people, so we know love is not a factor in your conduct or your sentiments. Love doesn't change you. You probably can't wait for February 14th for Cupid's Day because you get a chance to love everything. So your love and God's love not the same. Your love is your sentiment and it's based on your likes, your dislikes, and your preferences. But when you really love somebody, really, you give up your junk. You gladly give up your junk and you ask them to forgive you while you're giving it up. You surrender to him. If God can't get you to take care of his business, if he cannot get you to attend his church, support his work, you're sitting there supporting hell, wanting God to take you to heaven. Are you kidding? He did that once. He had it once. Lucifer did that. There's no room for that again. I know people are telling you differently. I'm telling you there's no room for it again. There just isn't. Heaven is not accommodating that biological, pneumatological material any longer. God does not want lies in his world any longer. He does not want theft in his world. He doesn't want envy in his world. He doesn't want all of the things that this world cherishes in his, which is why he threw it out. And he, when he cast out these things, he did not cast them out as actions. He did not cast them out as, as diseases. He didn't ca he cast them out as a being. Of the, the fallen being. Go back and listen to my teachings on uh, from um, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 and, and numerous others. You are still thinking everything is print and text, which is why you think you can do it. You think God that the, the God's word is a software program. Well, I'll just edit this. I'll just undo. No, you cannot do that because God is not. I don't care how soft the text. In God's mind, I'm a person. You can't edit my DNA. You cannot edit my genealogy. You can't change my constitution. I am that I am. He says it all the time. I am that I am. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And God wants to give you an opportunity to become him because that is what's in God's realm. You either become, you were born darkness. You, be, you were not only were you born belonging to Satan, you were born as him, which is why God gets on your nerves and you can't stand Jesus Christ. You always, I mean, I've never seen any entity that's so happy to tear up its founder and to demean itself. And so in God's realm, the reason those people, he got that one third angels, the reason that he lost that war is because he created another being. John 8, 44 explains it. So if you really want to be with Christ forever, then you need to want to become Jesus Christ and behave like him. And you can only behave like him when you become him. And that means you must be born again, not on the literary gospel. Remember, there was no literature when those apostles were sharing the gospel. They had the, the parchments, but they were with the rabbis. They were not walking around here like that. They had the letters and the record of what Jesus did, the end. So I want to ask you today, do you want Jesus to come into your heart or do you want to go to the Holy Ghost and get your new heart? Because you need to get your eternal heart. You need to get your God heart. The heart of God is not enough. You need to get your God heart. And you do that by repenting of your sins. You do that by confessing first. Because, see, you may say, you may be saying you're sorry, and that's not what God is dealing with. And you, you do that by accepting everything that I said, that your redemption is biotic, not textual. That is not just because God loves you. God loves you so much that he wrestles with you whole life. But if you don't become his and becoming his is more than joining him. If you don't become his. Then you cannot inherit eternal life. Dead souls can't go to the realm of the living. And all of your little movies tell you that zombies and all of them, they don't be flying up. <laughs> OK, <laughs> they're not flying up. <laughs> OK. So you need to receive Jesus Christ. And you can't just walk around here and say, Jesus, I just want you to be my personal savior. First of all, you, you, you don't have a personal savior. And you don't read that in scripture. He died for you as a person. And you confuse that. He's, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To have a personal savior is to say that you have made him adaptable and malleable to your life. And he's neither. You're going to have the God that came from eternity, got on that cross, went to hell, and you were in him. So you need to ask God, hey, God, do I have my new heart or not? Because you're trying to serve God with Satan's heart, and that just won't work. Hey, had a great time. I hope you had a good time. Did you all have a good time? Yeah. You sure? Okay. Had a great time. I want you to know that God said, behold, I do a new thing. His future is going to start with biotic redemption. And he will visit you because God's a righteous and just God. He's going to tell you, you know, you need to go back and listen to that. And you need to do the things that she said, because I have great plans for you. I have great hopes for you. But they don't mean anything to you. And you'll trifle over them if you don't have my being within you. If you found this as a blessing today, then I want to encourage you 
to sow seed. If you don't have a home church, then send your tithes here. You know good and well, this is good ground. And let me tell you something. I don't care how many people messed up. Don't punish me because folks couldn't get it right. I'm not going to take somebody else's medicine. I've served this man for 40 years. Loved him every single day. Give him anything he wants. But the most thing that he wants right now is his family to come home. He wants his children in his fold. So it should be on the screen. If you don't have a place to send your tithes, then send them here. This is not only good ground. I am a good agent and a good messenger of the Godhead. Otherwise, we ask for you to sow a seed. I've given you potent material, um, spiritual information. You can sow your material harvest and your material reciprocation right here on the screen. So you need to pay your tithes. And if you have a church, pay your tithes and catch up the Lord because you owe him. You're indebted to him. And if you haven't, then you can send them here. We bless them and we thank you for them. Hey, see you Sunday at the embassy home of the congregation of the mighty where God stands. We have Sunday school at 8 a.m. And we have Sunday service at 10. And by the way, go and listen to my legacy teaching because God is trying to give us an opportunity to partake of his future instead of being a casualty of it. I love you much. God bless you. Think differently. Live powerfully. <laughs> Amen. Wasn't that good? Dr. Price should be on television because her wisdom is universal. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you agree or you don't, there is wisdom and eternal truths in everything she says. She's intelligent and not just emotionally reactionary. And so if she's going to, let's just say, have a rebuttal against something, she has done her homework. And so it's not just shooting off emotionally and this is just what I believe and just, you know, unbridled passion all over the place. She should be on television because the world needs her, not just the body of Christ. There are answers that she has taken the time, which a lot of people don't want to do, and paid the price and the sacrifice, like people in scripture, and it's time for the world, and the world is ready to hear that information. Oh, she's real. Dr. Price is real. That's the appeal. We just had a whole bunch of people in church on Sunday, and the overriding comment was, but she's just so honest, but it's just so truthful. And it's not just honesty to shock people and do whatever. She's honest about the Lord, honest about the word, honest about us sitting in the seats and herself also sitting in their seats. And, and that's, that's huge. You, you don't even realize you don't hear the truth a lot until you hear it. And you're like, that's it right there. <laughs> I want you to do me a favor. I want you to visit www.takingiton.com. Taking It On is not just about a television show. It is about getting around tables, having discussions, making connections, shaking hands, opening doors, and you might be the solution or the open door to what God has told Dr. Paula Price. And so as we continue to take it on, we want to take it on with you. Partner with us at www.takingiton.com.